Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 349 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, I bring you a real treat. Terry O'Rourke is back on the podcast. You may remember Terry from episode 53. Terry lives on a boat. Well, Terry doesn't live on that boat anymore, but he is still an amazing, what do I want to say here? He's just a good guy, and he thinks about diabetes in a way that is valuable for all of us to know about. And this conversation was completely reflective of that. It could have gone on forever. I think this episode is over an hour and a half long, and it could have been two and a half hours long. Terry is a, he's a gem. He really is. He's, he's an asset to everybody living with type 1 diabetes, and you are about to benefit greatly from that fact. Friends, this episode of the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Dexcom and Omnipod. You can get a free, no-obligation demo of the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump just by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Omnipod will send you a pod right to your house. It comes in the mail. It's amazing. Take it out. Look at it. Apply it to yourself. Wear it. See what you think. It's that easy. If you love it, you keep going. And if you don't, yeah, toss it in the garbage. No harm, no foul. Omnipod's not going to pressure you. They want you to do what makes you happy. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box. And of course, the Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor can be learned about, found out about, and gotten at Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Find out about the continuous glucose monitor that helps Arden and I and my entire family and a lot of people listening around the world make decisions about their insulin use that leads to better outcomes, safer lives, more confidence, better health. Can't, you can't go wrong there. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. Let's get to Terry because you do not want to miss a word of this. As you're settling in and getting ready to listen to Terry, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. After you are done being absolutely enraptured by Terry and loving him as much as I do, head to juiceboxpodcast.com to see the amazing companion piece that Terry wrote for this episode. Just like everything Terry does, it is amazing and detailed and thoughtful and entertaining and valuable to people living with type 1 diabetes. Just go to juiceboxpodcast.com, click home at the top, and just scroll down to the blog posts. Terry's is called Diabetes Teaches If We're Ready to Learn. And just like that, this is Terry. So I have to tell you that your first episode comes up so frequently. Um, really? People, you know, I, I love the one with Terry, 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 which is your favorite one? Terry lives on a boat. And I always, I always get back to him. Like, you know, funny thing, Terry doesn't live on a boat anymore. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really fascinating. And, and I, uh, you know, it's not that I don't understand why, but I do so many of these that at some point, like I get done recording them and I think that went well. 
And that's really the only feeling I usually have afterwards. And then I get back to it some months later and I edit it. And I think, well, that really was very good. This was a great point here and here. It's it's interesting what I can't remember between the conversation and then the listen back. Um, but yeah, people just, they love yours. So I, I actually redid your audio. I, uh, I spruced up your audio and put it back out because so many people still listen to it. Yeah, uh, you know, I listened to it myself for the first time since that, since four years ago. And I just wanted to review what I said and what perhaps I don't want to hit again, you know? Right, right. But but do you, now that you've heard it back so recently, do you think, I don't understand why people like it that much? <laughs> Actually, I, I I felt pretty good about the positions I took and the and the arguments I made. Um, I, I'm, I'm always concerned about tone. And I realized that I'm 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 not very representative of the the type one diabetes group, especially online. Well, that's interesting. Since joining your uh, Facebook group, I realized I'm not the demographic. <laughs> I, again, I'm out on the skirts of the bell curve. I'm much older. I have a lot more years. Uh, I'm not a parent. Um, I'm not a parent of someone with diabetes. You right. Know, so I don't quite fit. <laughs> you know what's so funny is that. I can see the people that come into the Facebook group, right? They answer a couple of questions when they come in and there are, this will flip you out. There are more adults living with type one in that group than parents of kids with type one in that group. Oh, interesting. The parents are more vocal. Yes. And so I, the back, I think the background I get out of it is, is that adults find it interesting to listen to someone else talk about management someone who doesn't have diabetes, but is, is very much ingrained in it. Uh, yes. That's, that's the vibe I get. I, once in a while I'll hear from an adult that gets over, I don't think overwhelmed is the right, the right phrase, but it's too much for them. The worrying. Do you know okay. what I mean? You know, like when parents are like hand wringing all the time, Yes. you know, and, and I wonder how that felt to you when you see it. No, I actually, the, one of the reasons that you, you caught my ear way back when um, was the fact that you come at diabetes from a much different perspective as a parent, not just a parent, but a parent of a very young child. Yeah. And I found that perspective very interesting because it, it was not mine at all, yet it was somebody who cares about it, who doesn't have it, doesn't have type one, mm -hmm. who cares about it so much that they do, they assume a position that I've taken that I'm going to do whatever it takes to do this well. Right. In fact, I think a parent of a young type one probably is more intense than even an adult, you know, caring about their own health. It, it really is. I Interesting. And I say it a lot. It, it's There's this mixture of love and concern. And then you can be dispassionate in as much as that it's not happening to you. So, yes. you know, if somebody has a low blood sugar and I know I did the right thing to bring it back up and it's going to come back up. I'm not the one, I'm not panicking. I'm not the one who's having that horrible feeling of I should eat more, I should eat more. So I can stay calm and say to her, listen, I know this is how it feels now, but in a few more minutes, you're not going to feel like this anymore. And you're going to be right back to, to what you need to do. And we're not going to be fighting with a high blood sugar. If you just hang on for one second and I can console her and sit with her if it comes to that. Um, but it's not happening to me. I always think if it was happening to me, I would just keep eating. 
You, you, it's you know? a different. It's a much different. A different perspective when, right. you, when you're when it's it's a, a, you know, you've, you've got skin in the game. It's it's and I try to make this point, and sometimes I offend people with that, especially medical professionals. Um, they just they don't like to hear that, and I think you know you're on my side. I understand, but you don't have it. Right. Right. And your 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 perspective is probably as close to somebody that has diabetes as you can get without without having it. That's, that's just what 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 caught my ear. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you know what? You did something back then. By the way, I think you were. Let me make sure I know because I don't know when this is going to go up. But there are th- tomorrow the three hundred and thirty sixth episode of the podcast is going up. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. And you were on episode fifty three. I'm looking 53, right now. Yep. And that was my gosh, March. Oh, interesting. March 23rd, 2016. That was just a week shy of, you know, of, my gosh, five years ago. Is that right? Or yeah, that was, four that four was, years ago? That was three weeks before I, I moved off the boat and, and moved uh, from San Francisco to Portland. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that's just such a long time ago. I When I started doing this, I thought, no one's going to care about this. And I'll do a few of these and it'll probably stop. And then I'll just be doing it for myself. I'll be talking to myself for a while, but yeah. I, you know, I, I just couldn't believe it. But, but my point was, is that you talked about your episode in, um, in a, in a space online, in a, in a community that you were in, does it even exist anymore? Oh yes. Yeah. So, uh, two, two diabetes, um, not to beat somebody else's drum, but I've been participating there and writing there almost daily. Uh, for the last 10 years. Yeah, you do a nice so job there. Thank you. That, that's my home online. And um, so I, I'm a little bit divided about whether, you know, I should post the link, you know, when the episode comes up. I, I, I almost prefer somebody else in the community to notice and say, hey, Terry's, Terry's on, on, on the Juice Box podcast. It's, that's, that's interesting, isn't it? That, that feeling that you don't want to, um, you don't want to blow your, your own horn. Like you're just hoping, like, oh, I wonder if somebody else will find it and just mention it. It, it, it I, I walk that line all the time. There are times I record things and I think, wow, here I know there's a group that would really want to hear this, but then you feel odd about just showing up in the group and saying, hey, I just interviewed this person. I think this would be really interesting to you and leaving it there because it feels self-serving. Um, but I I wish they knew I'm okay. The podcast is being downloaded enough. Like I don't need a couple more. I really think that this yes. is that this is really for them. Um, but it's it's hard not to feel that way. You also come from a different generation of sharing online too. Have you yes. noticed people shifting the way they feel about things like this? Are you just stuck in the way you feel about it, or or? Oh, uh, I don't, again, uh, my reference to the bell curve and how I seem to live in the skirts. This is also true. Um, I am I am technically not part of my generation, or, or I am, but I'm more of like in the the Bill Gates uh, <laughs> uh, generation. Um, I've been using loop since, uh, November, 2016, just a few, you know, six months after our, our last meeting, uh, posted. Oh, no kidding. Yes. Uh, and I thought about contacting you. I thought, Hey, I'm into something new. I thought, you know what? I'm going to let this, just let this thing age a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I, I don't know many people my age that are using, uh, you know, the do it yourself automated systems. Right. Um, and so I, I, I don't think I'm a good representation with regards to technology and the online communication. What about your age? Well, first of all, how old are you? I'm 66. Okay. I'll be 67 this summer. So, so what about you know you, you're not seeing a lot of people your age online using the technology? Do you see a lot of people online sharing the way you do? 
talking about diabetes? Yes, yes. There's a lot of people in my age group and older, um, you know, into into their seventies. Um, uh-huh. And you know, I I I visit uh, some Facebook groups, but primarily I'm on two diabetes. And there's quite a, quite a few people in my age category. In fact, we're missing kind of the younger cohort that you generally appeal to. Um, if if the, if your Facebook group is any indication of the demographic, well, you're writing. You might as well be chiseling hieroglyphics into a wall. Yes, <laughs> nobody wants to read anything. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's true. It's true. But I, I, you know what? Writing first and foremost is a benefit for me. It clears yeah. out cobwebs and exposes uh, illogical thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's a it's just a it's a good practice. No, I. I had a conversation the other night with, have you listened to the episodes with Kenny talking about loop that went up pretty recently? I don't recognize Kenny, but I listen to almost everything. Okay. Yeah, in fact, I, the, the Dexcom guy was his name, uh, Thomas Walker. Thomas. Yeah. Just recently. Yes. Yes. I, I mean, I had all kinds of comments on that one. I thought, Oh, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want it to totally take over our conversation, but. Well, it, so it, it, it's, it's interesting um, how, I think the interviews end up falling into segments. And so like I brought up Kenny because Kenny and I have been kind of looking at Arden's loop settings together for the last week or so. And so we got together the other night just on, you know, just face to face like this. And we had a conversation. We're eventually going to record it, but we're trying to figure out what we think first. And that process of talking over diabetes stuff and bouncing it off of someone else, whether it's in an interview or in writing or something like that, it's incredibly yes. helpful because you say something and then you think that's not right. And it wasn't yes. until you said it out loud that it really, it really strikes you, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so you have that experience while you're writing. I do, and I also, you know, what your description you just said about, you know, in conversation you discover things about the problem. I, I used to work as a uh, uh, electronic technician for a major airline, mm-hmm. and that was my style of troubleshooting. I could not just say, oh, look at this circuit, look at this component. I, 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 just, I got a sneaking suspicion this is the problem. Right. I would pull another technician over with me and says, okay, this is what's going on. This is what I've tried. I've tried this and this and this. And as I'm describing it, I would often think, oh, I should have tried this other thing. So the, my verbal, verbal part of my brain kind of, kind of hook, hooks on something that oftentimes proves to be the the key insight. And, but it was the actual talking about it that That, that gets to me. it. I, do you ever and, have that feeling where after it happens, you think, I didn't even need this person here. I just yes. needed the conversation, right? Right. Yeah. right. And I had, there was a lot of technicians who prized this lone eagle uh, uh, thing that, you know, eagles don't flock was their, their creed. Oh, no kidding. And, you know, you know, if you have to ask questions, it's, it's a sign of weakness. And I thought, no, it isn't. It's just another way of, of, of thinking and interacting. Yeah. This, my brain is different than yours and I'm not a lone eagle. No, I I'm agree. more social I- that way. A hundred percent. You have to, uh, for me, and I, and I, I, I see their side of it too, because there are those people and, you know, looping or pumping or all that stuff brings it out is that they just look and then there's the answer. They see yes. the numbers and they look at something. And go, oh, the answer's here. I see those things and I start painting pictures with words. Like, I don't know another way to say it. Like I talk my way through it. It's like, you know, it's like driving a car up a hill and it loses momentum. You need to keep your foot on the gas because if you do that, and then all of a sudden I've explained why you need a good base of basil. 
And, yes. and, but I couldn't tell you, you know, at 12 o'clock, I saw a negative insulin on board and that's how I knew that the basal was wrong or, you know, I, right. I, that just wouldn't strike it me. It didn't ever. come out of a formula no. uh, or a quantification. Yeah. And I, I think you have an unusual ability. It's been, been my uh, observation of, of what you've done over the years. You have an unusual ability to get things on a visceral level. It's like, oh, this is either too much or too little insulin or it's, yeah. or it's, or it's too soon or it's not soon enough. Basically, there's two dimensions, right. dose size and dose timing. Yeah. And that's you, you, you've said that many times. And uh, it, it's not that complicated when you get down to it. That means a lot coming from you. I very much appreciate you saying that. I really do. My my reasoning behind that is because I, I wrote about diabetes for so long, and I don't know how good I was at writing about it, but I would find that I would write forever to try to make a point. And then yeah. I just started thinking, no one's going to read this, or they're going to get okay. bored, or or I'm going to be unclear at some point, right? And And the goal here isn't a click to my website. It's not a download to the podcast. Like, you know, the goal is for someone to go live their life in a better way and have an aha moment of some sort and be able to do this on their own quickly, not to spend their entire day thinking about their boluses and their basils and their diabetes. It shouldn't be, you're not living to serve the diabetes, right? Like you need to figure that out so you can go have a life. And so I kept thinking, how do I boil this down? Like I need to distill it, distill it, distill it down to t-shirt slogans so that people can have a moment and think, oh, I know what's wrong here. I need more insulin. I got a note this morning. She's going to hear this. And so I feel weird, but I got a note this morning from, you know, a, a person who's in the diabetes game who also has a child with type one diabetes. And it's a long explanation of what's been going on with their kids blood sugar. And I think to myself, she knows this, just needs more insulin, right? Yes. Like it's just, it's more like, I don't know why the kids needs went up, meet the need. And, and that's it. But she's fearful of maybe making a change that would be adverse. I don't even know. I just think it's interesting to watch them. Uh, people do it all the time. They start, I don't know, like, you know, it, it, sometimes like simple dishes are the best. Like, you know, you don't yes. have to, you don't have to dig in the back of the refrigerator and go, oh my gosh, we have carrots. I didn't know we had carrots. You know, just, yes. you know, it, blood sugar's going up. It's not coming back down. I'm bolusing all the time. We'll put some of that bolus into basil and let's see what happens, you know? Um, yes. And, and they know it. I know they do. Yes. But when you get caught in the vortex of it all happening, it's hard to just simplify and start over again every time, I think. Yes. So that's always been my goal is to talk about diabetes in a way that will strike you in the moment you need it and be actionable and and not lead you down, you know, a three week rabbit hole of not being able to figure out yes. what's going on. So yes. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. Yes, you're welcome. It, it means a lot. And And you... Can you tell me all this time you've spent, you know, where where you're writing and talking about diabetes, what's the beyond you, beyond that it's therapeutic and helps you, why do you continue to do it? Because it is, it, it, it takes up time. It feels good. I, it's almost like somebody who is a, you know, a, a, an athlete in training, mm-hmm. um, and and if they miss they miss a day of working out, they miss it. They just think, God, I just don't feel right today. You know, I usually go out for a three mile run, and I didn't do it. I I get a lot of pleasure uh, out of writing, mm-hmm. and I've learned a lot about myself, and I've learned a lot about diabetes, and and I realize it's such a great tool um, 
to clarify your thoughts. Yeah. Um, and if you can express it in writing, then it, it, it probably, it, it holds true. And plus it also, you know, if you get into a problem where you're, you, you get into kind of a circular thought pattern, something's bothering you, something's worrying you, and you just visit the same issues round and round and round and round. Yeah. You put it onto paper, you break that cycle. Yeah, that's interesting. And the helping other people, is it your main focus or is it just a happy side effect of putting it out it's there? It's weird. I've often, I've, you know, um, 2011, uh, I retired. And uh, so I was five years into retirement when I talked to you last time. And now I'm almost 10 years in. Um, I, I've said to people, I said, this is, it's, it's kind of a strange hobby to have. But, you know, some retired people, they do woodworking, they do radio-controlled airplanes, they, they right. golf. I, I write about diabetes. Yeah. I talk about diabetes. I, you know, I, I do this a couple hours every day. I'm reading, you know, scientific studies. I've done a lot of reading on COVID-19. I just posted a, 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 an article today about the effects of vitamin D and sunlight and skin color. So that one's got the opportunity to be very controversial. Um, but anyhow, I, I, so I'm learning a lot. And I, I thought, you know, if I could do my life over again, I might have chosen to go into a medical field. Really? Um, well, and especially this front seat of type 1 diabetes. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've, I've had hundreds of thousands of hours of experience. The level of experience that dwarfs any clinician's experience, even if they count all their college, all their medical school, all their continuing medical education credits, everything. I'm as far as dosing insulin for me, they can't touch me. Yeah. And I didn't really appreciate that until the last, I don't know, five, six years. Do you think you reach more people doing what you do than you would as a physician, though? I you know, I don't know. I don't know how many people, I mean, the, the website that I participate in the most, I, I don't think it gets that many views. I think what you do gets way more exposure. Well, that's, uh, that's, podcast. Well, that's interesting because I, I see the, you know, I get responses daily um, about the show and it's interesting to get a, you know, an, an email today that you realize is really the culmination of you know, three, four or five, six months of this person's life because it's, you know, Hey, I've had two A1Cs. Now they've come down significantly. I'm doing this. I'm more in control. I feel better. Whatever the, the note ends up being. It, it's interesting that it, they didn't have that whole thought that day when they wrote it, this has been happening to them for a while. So when you receive three emails today and four tomorrow and two the next day, it's interesting. Those are the people I began to touch many months prior to that. Um, yes. it's a, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird thing to kind of wrap your head around because in, in my life it's happening right now, but for them, this is, this is a long story they're telling. Um, yes. I, I wish that, uh, I wish that you do such a good job. I wish that I wish more people saw it. I wish more people saw anything helpful from anybody, but you said earlier that, you know, a couple of times that you're, you're on the outside, maybe on the fringe of this. How do you mean that? What, what, why, why are you not? Well, okay, let me, there's a study that came out about a year ago, and I, I just wrote down the statistic because it's so powerful. Mm -hmm. They basically looked at two groups, under 18 and old, over 18, so children versus adults. Okay. 
And I think it was it was published in Diabetes Therapeutics, Technology and Therapeutics, or something like that. It's a group out of California. And they said that only 17% of children have an A1C under 7.5. Mm-hmm. And of the adults, only 21% had an A1C less than 7. So there I am with, with an A1C well under that. And I'm only one in five. So what's going on with that? It's number one, I can say diabetes is hard. Mm -hmm. Controlling it is hard. But there's people like yourself and people like me, and there's many others out there, but we're in a minority that know how to do it well. So I want to share that. I don't want to be blowing my trumpet like, hey, look at me. I I can do this. No, I, I I want other people to say, oh, my gosh, what you did. I tried and it worked for me. It should be aspirational. That's like success. hundred percent. It needs to be aspirational. It needs to be, listen, you can only control you, right? So if you put good information out in the world and some people are off put by it or they're offended that you're like, look, I don't, I don't know what your A1C is and you haven't said it yet, but you know, I say Arden's all the time because I want people to know it's possible. I don't care if you think I'm good at it. I want you to look and think. Wait, there's a 15-year-old kid somewhere who doesn't have diet restrictions, who's got an A1C in the fives for years and yes. years and years. That seems amazing. How? You know, and then yes. if you come hear it and it's not for you or you don't think you can accomplish it or whatever ends up being, okay. You know, like I'm I'm not trying to I'm not trying to change everyone's life. I just I at my core, I feel badly that some people are having these outcomes. And they believe that that's just what exists. I, if they if they could find out more exists and they decide they don't want it, you know, that's on them. That's fine with me. Um, but I feel badly that people don't know. Well, there, here's another another item that's bantied about the uh, diabetes online, and, and it comes up in your conversation regularly. It's this whole idea of your diabetes may vary. Mm-hmm. In the face of it, first analysis, of course, is true. We all have different bodies. We have we're different genders. We we're different ages. Um, people are unique. But I found that the your diabetes may vary has a dark side, and that dark side is somebody considering. Well, maybe I should try what Terry suggested, or maybe I should try what Scott suggested. But they toss it off, they dismiss it, and they say, no, I can't do that because my diabetes is different. I have problems with my hormones or this other. They got 100 reasons. It's all under your diabetes may vary. And yeah. that, I think, just torpedoes uh, your ability to be curious and to follow up and to test and to experiment. It gives you the feeling that there are different kinds of diabetes and the person who's having this success over here must have a better and easier kind. Or I, you still hear people say, sometimes I'm brittle. I was like, yes. you know, you're probably not. Um, I don't think that's, that's a re- an anachronism. Yes. Yeah, it's not a real medical term. You know, like what if what if it turned out that your I don't know, your basil's too high and you're always falling because of that. And you just never thought of that before. It, but they look yes. at it and they go, look, I'm brittle. Like my blood sugar won't say stable. And and. It's funny because I believe I know the person who came up with that that acronym. Like your your diabetes may vary, and it is a truth. I'll, it's a hundred percent true. In yes. and I believe in the in the the facet that they meant it in. It's really great advice. Yes. And but who would think that it could bleed into what you were talking about and become so 
It's a human weakness. Yeah. We, we don't always want to face. Maybe on some level <clears throat> we see a truth and we think, you know what? Maybe I'm not doing this right. But then you're, you're, the stronger part of your personality takes over and says, no, 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 you're fine. You know, yeah. it, it's just because your diabetes is different than theirs. Right. And it's, 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 it's not helpful. Yeah. And it, it really call people need to be honest with themselves. And of course we all, we're all human. We all do this to a certain extent nobody's perfect. It's incredibly difficult and you only have so much bandwidth that you have to work with every day. But I, I want people to know that if you get these stable blood sugars that you're talking about, learn how to bolus for meals, it creates a lot more time and, and freedom for thought about and other quality, things. quality. Yeah. And quality. That's why, I, you know, I, I, I've often said to people and write about it that if you want to learn a lot in a hurry, The Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor allows you to see loved ones' blood sugars from a distance. That could be across the world or across your living room. The Dexcom G6 has share and follow, right? So with an iPhone or an Android, you can see your child's or your wife's or your girlfriend's or I don't care, any loved one at all. Anyone who wants you to see their blood sugar, you can see it remotely right there on your phone. The speed and direction, as well as the number. My blood sugar is 125, and my mom is at work, and she can see that. That's how that works. My blood sugar is falling. It's falling two points per minute, one point per minute. I can see that, and so can the person following me. Check out the Dexcom at Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox and get started today with what I think is one of the most valuable pieces of diabetes technology that has ever existed on the planet. No over-exaggeration. Dexcom.com forward slash juice box. See everybody's blood sugar. See your own. See the speed. See the direction. Make better decisions about your insulin with that information. My daughter Arden is about to turn 16, and she has been wearing an Omnipod tubeless insulin pump since she was four years old. Even I can do the math on that. That sounds like, wait, hold on, four, it's like 12 or 13 years. All right, maybe I can't do the math on that, but I do know that by wearing a tubeless insulin pump, you have freedom that you just don't have with a tubed pump. The freedom to swim and continue to get your basal insulin, to take a shower and have your basal insulin, to be active without having to disconnect, right? Soccer games with a tube hanging off of you and the pump. Where do you hook that on your soccer shorts exactly? I don't know. But you don't have to worry about that with Omnipod because Omnipod is tubeless. It is self-contained. And the controller that you use to make, you know, hey, I want a bolus, that kind of stuff, that's not connected to you. It's wireless. Magic. You understand? Magic. It's not really magic. It's, it's pretty simple technology, but that's not the point. It's wireless. The Omnipod tubeless insulin pump has been a mainstay in our life since diabetes arrived. It is one of the best decisions that we have ever made as a family. And you don't even have to take my word for it, which is kind of the cool part. All you need to do is go to myomnipod.com forward slash juice box and Omnipod will send you a free, no obligation demo of the Omnipod right to your house. They call it a pod experience kit. They'll send it to you and you can experience the pod. I, you see where the name comes from. 
for yourself in your own time, in the privacy of your own home, or loud and proud, wherever you want to be. Doesn't matter to me. Put it on, wear it, take a shower, go for a run, do your thing, live your life, see what I'm talking about. And then if you want to get started with Omnipod, you can. It's that easy. Come right to your house in the mail. The mail's magical too, you know. Just put something in a thing and shows up somewhere else. Like teleportation. I mean, if you don't think about the fact that it's in a car or a truck or whatever the mail people use. We've gotten pretty far off topic. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. Links in your show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com. Get out there. Do something good for yourself. Do something great for someone you love. Get going today. Stop waiting. Give diabetes everything it asks for. Maybe you only do this one day a week. Maybe mm. you only do it one day a month. But have a time period set up where, you, okay, whatever diabetes wants, I'm doing it. Whether I need to eat, whether I need to go out and walk around the block three times, uh, or maybe I need to take a little bit more insulin. Uh, but you just basically live your life for diabetes. And people say, well, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to you know, be a professional patient or whatever. Mm -hmm. But you know what? You have diabetes. Diabetes is not part of your life. Diabetes is your life. It's just as much a part of your life as the color of your eyes or the color of your hair right. <laughs> or whether you have hair or not. And if uh, you do what you're suggesting and once a week, it's a great idea. Once a week, give yourself over to it. The things you'll learn in that one day will start to translate out to the rest well, of the days of the week. What right? happens is you start to accumulate a body of knowledge about yourself such that it becomes part of your thinking. And now the whole task is smaller and you do have you do have uh, more time for what you think is your real life. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate that. I, it's I think it's an effective. And I found this. I, I, I went through a crisis in 2012, which we talked about in your previous uh, podcast with me, um, where I was diagnosed with a, uh, a complication. And I, I, I basically went through this. I had just retired. And I thought I'm going to give diabetes everything it wants. I learned so much that I found out that my blood sugar settled down. It took less effort after many months. Yeah. And I, my, my whole life was better. Hmm. So what trying to avoid it, trying to bargain with it and say, well, I'll do that later. It doesn't work. Right. <laughs> it doesn't, well, we, you have to say like a toddler, you know, a toddler, a, a, a fussy toddler, you can try to put them off and say, get away. You know, you're, you're just not, you know, or you can address their needs at the time that they need it. And in the end, you're better off. They're happier and you're happier. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, do you think that when you say things like this, are you sometimes met with people who brusque about that? And is that what you mean about being a little bit on the outside as well? Like people don't want to hear it directly like that? People don't want to. I think there are people like me. I've, I've seen them online sure. um, and people like yourself. Um, where they do want to figure it out and, 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 and learn as much as they can and make their life better. But there's a whole, there's a way more people who are, they're, they're just trying to strike the deal with diabetes. Like, look, don't take over my whole life. I need to work. I need to be a parent. I need to be a spouse. Um, and 
And they try to make that division. They try to divorce the idea of their diabetes versus the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. And th- making that bargain, it's it's not the best thing to do. I, I I really do think you need to recognize. Indeed, you have this you have this uh, this disease, and and you need you need to treat it well if you want to if you want to have if you want to become more the real you. Once or twice a year, maybe more like once a year, but it's happened a number of times since the podcast has been going. I will get an email that is long and well thought out and and borderlines on hateful about oh, I don't understand and you don't have diabetes and this is hard and it's not what you're trying to say. It's not it doesn't work the way you think it does. Really, really angry. Yes. And then each one that I've ever received has been followed up about six months later by an apology. Yes. I went back, I listened again. That thing you said made sense. I tried it, my A1C's down, and they all end up saying the same thing. And I actually had this experience with a with a person who came on the show. Uh, she said it right on the show uh, last year. She said, I realized I wasn't mad at you, I was mad at myself. Because that's exactly right. Right. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah, and I and I thought, well, that's really that's been one of the more meaningful uh experiences that I've had kind of behind the scenes with the podcast is to watch someone uh, go through that experience because it shines a light on just how horrible diabetes has been for them, that it pushed them so far into that corner that even faced with information that's, I mean, let's face it, I'm not talking at a high level on this podcast. I've I have pretty much distilled this all down as far as I can. It's near well, this as, is your appeal. Right, this well, is your brand. I've dumbed it down, Terry. I, I I've made it so silly I can understand it. Okay, and so yes. but, but so when somebody sees that and is still like, oh, that's not right. This doesn't work. What I see is a person who's been trapped in believing that that's true. That you know they got the bad kind of diabetes, and it it just none of this is going to work for them. Uh, and that's yes. a terrible thing to see that people go through all the time. And everyone that comes out of that or or very excitingly never experiences it because they get the information up front. I'm always very excited for, for those people, uh, you know, that yes. they don't that they either have broken free of it or they, they may never, ever have that feeling. So, yes, yeah. that's, that's a good observation. It's um, interesting. Anyhow, yeah, it's, a, it's an it's an ongoing thing. And uh, as a, as the. As I'm getting older, I'm starting to starting to wonder about you know how this uh, how this lasts, and then this this uh, pandemic that we're in the middle of, and all the issues it's brought up. Um, what what kind of impact has it had on you? I mean, personally and with your diabetes. Um, with my diabetes, it hasn't been a problem except for the knowledge that people with diabetes and, and other other comorbidities, which I, I, I have other comorbidities, I have I have some heart problems. Where, where I feel like I'm in the crosshairs mm-hmm. of some of some hunter, that hunter being the virus, and I've kind of settled down with with that idea, but uh, I. I, I, I take reasonable precautions. I, I put myself into quarantine mm-hmm. probably 10 days before the governor of Oregon decided it was a good thing. Okay. Um, and I was starting to pull back. on. I, I, I developed a habit starting in the fall. I was going to the gym every day just to use the sauna because of the heart-healthy effects of sauna. Yeah. And I, was, I had tremendous uh, benefits from it. I just was amazing how, how good I felt. And I was taking the streetcar. I don't own a car. So I took the streetcar to the gym every day. And so as this stuff started coming up on the news, it was in February. Um, 
And I thought, okay, I live a mile, 1.1 mile from the gym. I'm not going to take a streetcar anymore. I'm just going to walk. So I, so I did that. I just walked. And then I thought this being in the gym with, you know, in the locker room and everything, I said, this is not going to work either. And so I, I, uh, suspended my membership, right. um, probably about two weeks before the gym closed. Um, so I, I, I made those adjustments. I, I lucky enough, I, I have an adult daughter that lives in town and, and she does grocery shopping for me. So I've made, made accommodations that way because I, I, I know that that would be one place that I could pick up the virus. Mm-hmm. So I was, it's kind of interesting in that I'm more of an introvert character and, and reading and writing online occupies a lot of time for me. Like I said, it's my retirement hobby. Yeah. Um, and I, going into quarantine, wasn't that big of an ask for me. It <laughs> Sometimes wasn't that, have that big feeling. of a deal. I think somebody like yourself would have a harder time who is more gregarious that really likes to mix it up with people. It, it it hits me a little bit. It's funny first that a lot of people I know who have over the years written about diabetes would would describe themselves as introverted. Um, and it's funny because when they're asked to speak or do something, they often turn it down because that's just not where they're good. They they work best, you know, when they're when they're speaking uh, through their keyboard. But I get um, so I've been the person. I'm the I'm you know you've heard of the designated survivor. I'm the opposite of that. I'm the person in my house that we've decided we could all live without if he drops dead. So I get to go out to pick up the groceries and things like that. They they must have gotten together behind my back, Terry, and been like, which one of us can we you know do without? It's him. Okay. We'll we'll send him for the chicken breast. Yes. You know. So um, I get out in public, and it's not lost on me what you said. Um, I like to talk to people. And I know that it might seem irritating to some people, but I, I, I don't think I am. Uh, but I am the person who will say something offhandedly while we're checking out at the grocery store or, you know, I'll make eye contact with I use this uh, this a lot. But, you know, sometimes you see a guy grocery shopping with his wife and 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 she's just going down the aisle so slowly and the, you can see the guy behind her. He's just like, come on, let's go. Yes. I want to get out of yeah. here and I'll make eye contact and smile a little bit and you'll get a knowing smile back. It's uh, yes. you, you know, you don't quite tap your wedding ring, you know, but it's uh, yes. it, 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 people see that all that's gone. Not being able to see people's faces. I find um, upsetting and not because I can't see them, but because I start feeling like, well, what's the point? Do you, you know what I mean? Like if we're, if we can't see each other and we can't interact, then what's then there's no need for us to be together at all. And then yes. what does that mean? I, I'm born. And then what, how do I learn and grow and become social and buy a house that I can hide in one day? You, you know, like, yeah. is that, is that the play, you know? So getting back to your earlier question about my diabetes and, yeah. and the pandemic, I, I was upset more early on, um, by the observation that younger people didn't seem to appreciate their role of possibly infecting me. Mm-hmm. All they heard was young people don't have severe consequences, not to worry. It's only the older people that end up. And they totally lost the, 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 uh, the concept of being a carrier, right. especially an asymptomatic carrier. And I've seen time and again where people, you know, they, they just they, they cross by you closely on the sidewalk, you know, not maintaining the six foot distance um, or even like uh, I live in a high rise building and people in the elevator, you know, they, they don't they don't want to. Number one, I stopped I stopped riding the elevator with people. I just refuse. I won't get on if there's people on it. And I tell people, no, I'm riding alone. Yeah. 
but I just noticed that younger people were not, they're not tuned into this, you know, like kind of spanning the lobby where you, you, my path has to bisect their conversational group. Mm-hmm. Um, it drives me nuts. And, the, and actually one of those guys I know that was in that instance, I looked outside my, my doorway one day because I heard somebody hacking and coughing. It was the COVID cough. Right. He was waiting for the elevator. And this guy was in the, and I think, what does it, what doesn't he understand about this idea? You know, my health is more fragile than theirs. And they just like, it's like, they're not paying attention. It's almost like it's not evil or mean. It's just thoughtlessness. You know, it's interesting. I heard this stat the other day and it was all these statistics are simultaneously comforting for some people and completely frightening for other people. And one of them was that a, a, a number of, a, a, a larger percentage of people who are dying uh, as elderly patients with COVID-19 have already outlived their life expectancy. And okay. it was, and it was said like, see, it's okay. You, you, you yes. know, like, and you're, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, you know yes. I don't know if you realize it when you're 30, but when you get to 70, you don't wake up every morning and think, oh, well, you know, I guess it's cool if I die today because I already made it past 67 or whatever, you, you know, yes. like that's, that's not how you, you don't become, you're not on some sort of a countdown clock in your mind when you get older and just thinking, oh, I've used up all my good time. This is all cake. That's a, that's a, an observation that's made macro. And, and this is such an interesting um time to consider the idea of being uptight, being you being micro and being macro about thinking it's, and, and, People can't separate the two oftentimes, or they do, and they're they're amazing about it. You'll see um, people who fall more into like the social justice warriors kind of category. They're yes. they're covering their face six different times. They won't go outside. They're trying to save you and everybody else, and that's yes. great. But then there's plenty of other people, to your point, who either don't believe in it or don't care, or their desires end up being more important to them than someone else's safety or they're not paying attention they're yeah. watching the tiger thing on, on the on the, the videos <laughs> you know <laughs> I, I it's it's like they're more given to amusements than they are to uh to researching things closely yeah yeah to really understand what it is they're saying and not just go it's interesting because this it 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 really does apply all through life in many different ways your first thought probably not right you know, unless it's about the thing you're specifically trained in or understand in some way that's, you know, over and above what everybody else does. But when you say, you know, you see it joked about online all the time, you know, uh, these 10 doctors are telling me to wear a mask, but uh, they, some guy I went to high school with said, it's okay, I don't have to, it, you, you know, like, it, yes. it, but that's their first thought. I always find that to be a very human idea that when you think something is correct, it would be strange to doubt yourself, right? You, because it would put you in indecision constantly. Because just think of yes. all the things all day long we do that probably could be done better. Right. You, you know, but that's my first thought. So this is how I handle it. And, you know, you only need to be married for a little while to have <laughs> have someone look at you and say, why did you just throw the one gallon container of milk in the recycling bin without pushing the air out of it so it would take out? And then to see that person yes. go, oh, I've never thought of that before. Yes. You know, like, so your first thought's well, is not always the right one. It's what I find interesting about listening to podcasts like yours is I hear things every once in a while. I think, hmm, I never thought of that. Yeah. 
I'll try it. I'll do it. I, I don't have a ready example, but it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And these little things over years, they add up. Yeah. And they, they really do accumulate to, to your benefit. Well, you brought one up earlier that I hear about all the time. Um, just the idea of a sauna. Just a, a, a nice, what, 30 minutes, right? A nice dry heat for 30 minutes. Yeah. And, and you get that, a, a real regenerative feeling from that. Well, and there's there's a there's actual medical studies done, you know, in in Scandinavia and in Finland in particular, uh, kind of the home of the sauna, or, or one of the one of the places where sauna occurs the most. They actually did a study of people my age group with heart disease, and it was shown to be beneficial. It reduced the rate of heart disease and stroke, hmm. uh, and and people in my my age category. And they made a distinction between people that did it more than four times a week and people that did it less than four times a week. So this whole idea of, you know, of sweating, and of course it's interesting, this sweating idea spans every culture. You know, the indigenous Americans had sweat lodges. Right. Uh, and in Japan, it's a thing. It's, it's, there's this sweating thing is, is, is uh, common all over the world through history. And anyhow, so they did this. They did the study, and they showed that it actually does have a medical benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I think, I I think it's a, it's a real thing. And I, I really miss that. From yeah. Now that I'm not going. Do you ever shock yourself to cold as well, or do you stick with? No. The heat? Well, I, I I do that in the sauna. I'll take a cold shower afterwards. Okay. Um, but yeah, that's part of it. That's part. In fact, when I first learned to sauna was uh, I, I was a. Uh, like at a, a summer camp for high school kids mm-hmm. and young adults uh, up in northern Minnesota, and they had a sauna, and we would we would get out of the sauna and run run out and dive in the lake. Um, and then I visited there one time in the winter, and we got out of the sauna, and you know it was like thirty degrees below zero, and we would all go out and roll in the snow and then come back in. And there is something to that. Yeah, there's no, that, I, it's I, good for your immune system. I don't know a lot about it, but I have heard people talk about like hot and cold, like kind of shocking to your system and how, how good it can be for you. I, and I had a, a similar experience that you, as you, um, prior to this all happening, maybe four weeks prior to it, I'd kind of started a different kind of way of thinking about my, my health. And I, one of the things I was doing was seeing uh, a chiropractor just to try to help get some of the tension out of my lower back. And he was having, real great success with it. And I was feeling uh, uh, much differently and improved. And then I couldn't go see him anymore. And now I'm back exactly to where I was. And and I've sat here and tried to think of what he was doing and tried to mimic it somehow. And I just, I can't find it, you you know, whatever that thing is. So it's just, you know, little things. And I don't know if he was doing anything great. I think he was just kind of creating some separation for my spine and, and it was, it, I felt good. I, I felt like there was inflammation going away that I had and it was, it was progressively getting better. And I thought, Oh, great. And then one day they called and they're like, don't come, you, you know, you can't. And I wasn't going to it, by the way, yes. I acted like I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry, but I wasn't coming. That's <laughs> yes. uh, really something. Uh, well, I mean, listen, you have to protect yourself and it just, it doesn't make sense not to, I would think for you, I mean, with respect, your age is more of an issue than your type one because your type one's not causing you any medical concerns, right? No, no. Uh, my, my type one is, in fact, there's another interesting study uh, referred to about the, the number of people in the United States and probably around the world who are metabolically healthy. 
Mm-hmm. And they had a very specific de- definition of metabolic health being the, the size of your waist versus your height, um, the, the, your triglyceride number, your high-density lipoprotein number, and there was, there was one other measure. Very simple things to measure. And they found that in the, uh, in the United States that only one person in eight, only 12% of the population was metabolically healthy. Hmm. And of course, somebody like me, I was automatically tossed out of that because I, you know, I have type one diabetes. I take a, a hypertensive pill. Oh, it was blood pressure was the other measure. Okay. Uh, blood unmedicated blood pressure below a certain level. So only only one person in eight is metabolically healthy in this country. And so I'm thinking, you know, I am probably more metabolically healthy than than most people in this country that don't have diabetes. Yeah, those other seven for sure. I, I yes. keep wondering when that conversation is going to start happening mainstream the and i know it's nobody wants to feel at fault ever and that so then a lot of a lot of what we get back even through i don't want to just say through the news i even think through some podcasts and blogs nobody wants to hurt anyone's feelings and so things are kind of kept vanilla because of that sometimes i think we a little bit what we were talking about earlier i I keep wondering when someone's going to say hey i don't know if you noticed but Sick people get sick more often than well people get sick. And maybe we should all be looking a little yes. closer at how well, we're eating. I've, I've heard the analysis about this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. They said it's not so much about the virus itself and mm. the pandemic as it is an indictment of our overall metabolic health. Mm. And that we need to pay attention to this underlying condition. If, if that number was not uh, uh, only one in eight, if that number was like six in eight were metabolically healthy, do you think we'd be having the uh, the incidence and severity that we're experiencing now? Yeah. Well, is it, 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 it wouldn't happen, and it, it shows the people people who have high blood sugar upon admission, high A1C upon admission. Those are the ones that get it the worst, or the the, the their risk goes way up. Right. Um, and have you heard people talking about that um, that having COVID nineteen has thrown some people into type one diabetes? It's been the the stressor yes. at the end. That's yes. starting to be studied yeah, that, more that, too. Is interesting. That's interesting. Yes, and I, I, you know, we've always made these associations, and these. I, I, I happen to have uh, my own little story about that. I, I was bitten by a tick about two years before I was diagnosed with type one diabetes, hmm. and I, I came down with something called Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, which kills like one in five people who get it. Wow. And uh, it has very characteristic spots on the palm of your hands and the bottom of your feet. And uh, I, a couple of years later, I came down with type one diabetes, and I've always thought, well, I wonder what the connection is there, right. um, because it, it was an immune an immune problem. In fact, I was on IV tetracycline for 24 hours, which is like corrosive to your <laughs> your blood vessels. So I don't know if my immune system responded to that, or it could be more complicated. But it seems like everybody with type 1 diabetes has a story about whether they caught the flu a few weeks before or they had something else go on. Right. Um, but there's no cause and effect. It's just association. It's how I wonder about it, too. Like, do you have the markers and either get lucky enough to not bumping to something that taxes your system to the point where it pushes you over that edge or, or are there just some people that don't have the markers and could get sick like that all the time and would just never develop type one. I assume that's, you know, that's how I sort of think about it. And, and, you know, Arden had, um, Coxsackie virus right before she was diagnosed 
And that's even hard to think about. Like, is there somewhere, you know, I, I don't take it personally. Like, I don't feel like, you know, did I, did I take her to the store and she got sick and that's why it happened. But is there a world where if we didn't bump into a certain person on a certain day, Arden wouldn't have gotten diabetes until she was 20? Do, do you know or maybe mean? not, or maybe or not never at all, or whatever. Fate, yeah, they, fate plays a role. It's like the, the soldiers say, and the enemy gets a vote. You mm. know, fate <laughs> gets a vote, and you don't. That's out of your hands. Yeah. So uh, you can't worry about all that. You just thank your lucky stars for the things that didn't uh, you didn't get tapped for. I heard my son say one time. You know, sometimes people will say to you, like, you know, you needed to put the ball in play there. We really needed that, and he'll say, yeah, well, the pitcher's trying to stop me from hitting it. You know. Like, I'm not just, yeah. I'm not just up, yes. it's not on a tee, you know what I mean? Like, yes. he's trying to beat me, I'm trying to beat him, I'm also trying to beat the other eight guys out there, he's like, you know, it's not as easy as hit the ball, and it's not as easy as, you know, just, you know, like you said, the, the enemy gets a vote, that's a real, it's a really uh, interesting way to put it, uh, and, and apply it to diabetes like this. Well, you yeah. must have a list in front of you, you're an engineer, what else did you want to talk about? Um, I, I have, I have way more, way more here than we have time for. Don't, don't, uh, don't say that. We keep going. Don't one, worry. One thing I would like to talk about is, is our doctors. Okay. I've had a, a, a long, uh, history with doctors. You see one at four times a year. I've been mm -hmm. doing it for 36 years. I've probably gone through about six doctors. I've never found the doctor. I've never found the one where I think, oh, this is the one. Yeah. This is the one who gets it, who's going to treat me right, who's going to understand it. I, I, and I, I went through you know, some, some anger when, when, I, when I finally discovered it, how much of a role carbohydrates played in my disease, mm -hmm. that when I started limiting my carbohydrates, I got so much better. I was taking less insulin. I was losing weight without effort. Um, my energy was higher. My blood pressure went down. Um, all this good stuff happened. And I, I thought, oh my gosh, why did my doctors never even bring this up? And I was angry. Yeah. And I, you've talked about this, and, but I've given that up. I, I, anger's not good to hold on to. It's appropriate in the short term, but not chronically. Right. And I realized, you know, these doctors have a lot on their plate. They have a lot being there. They see so many patients a week and they've got, you know, they're, they're, they got in it. They got in the profession to do good, and they're really it's, – it's about the goodwill. But this is my, my recent uh, uh, insight is their agenda does not completely overlap with yours. Right. And so many people defer to the doctor's agenda. Um, for instance, their, their attitude towards hypoglycemia – I, 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 I've often said they're, they're hyperphobic about hypoglycemia. And the reason they are is because of their legal exposure and their professional exposure and the, and the professional standards of care as published by organizations like with the American with Diabetes Association. Um, just, you know, the whole thing about the, the, the time and range. They've decided that 70 to 180 is the time and range. Well, for some of us, that's a joke. Mm. That's yeah. just like that. That's that's weak weak sauce. Why why now? I understand for some people it's a good idea, but the doctors are so afraid of hypoglycemia they'd rather have that that, that high end be up at 180. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking that's it's not appropriate in every situation. So the doctors the doctors' interests are not completely congruent with yours, and you need to understand that, and then you need to decide. Uh, with certain things that you take responsibility, that your point of view, your perspective 
holds as much gravity as the doctors. Mm. And I wish the doctors would give us a seat at the table yeah. instead of just talking about us, but say, hey, patient, what do you think? Right. What are your goals so, here? Seriously, yeah. not just because you lacked letters after your name should not dismiss your point of view. And, you know, I, like I've said, you know, my, my time of living with diabetes dwarfs all their professional time with diabetes right. by, by orders of magnitude. Well, you said earlier about those numbers, about how people's um, A1Cs are more in the sevens, uh, and a large percentage of them. And it struck me when you said that, hasn't the goal handed down by the American Diabetes Association for a long time been, you know, similar? 7%. Yeah, to that number. Yes. So what to that means... It, it, it's, it's unambitious expectations. It, it really sells the people. It's like the teachers in school. When you're in primary school, yeah. the teacher you remember the most is probably the one that expected the most out of you, that right. challenged you and said, no, you're not going to get off that easy, Scott. you got to do this. Well, oh, it really makes me just feel like you get what you expect. So if you expect that a seven is good, then you end up with a seven. I mean, it, that just makes sense to me. I you know, I think so often I just got another note the other day from someone who, you know, said they were listening to an older show and I was talking about uh, goals um, and your Dexcom alarms. And I said, if you just keep pushing down your high alarm, eventually you'll find a way to stay under everywhere you put it. It just happens. Like yeah. once you can stay under 200, cool, then go to 180. Now I can stay under 180, I can stay under 150. It turns out that the way you stay under 150 is the same way you stay under 120 with just a little more insulin. And, yeah. and, and, and she said it really worked. She said, I was so, um, so sure you were wrong about that when I listened. And now I'm doing it and it works. And I wonder if you didn't say to people, because pregnancy, Jenny says, do you listen when Jenny's on? Oh, uh, I do. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I was actually a client of hers back in 2012. Oh, that's crazy. So Jenny yeah. says all the time, how come when someone's pregnant, we can keep their A1C under six? <laughs> And I was like, right, she goes, why is that not for everybody? And there are plenty of people, right. a lot of them listening to you and me right now, who have those A1Cs or on their way to them or on their way to understanding that they're possible uh, and then the variability that comes with it. Um, you know, I, I agree with you, like 70 to 180. I like it when it's like, look at my time and range, how great it is. But, you know, then they don't tell you what their range is. I'm like, yeah, right. you know, I've been on the right. planet for 48 years. My time and yeah. range on earth is 48 years. I haven't which, always done great things with that time. <laughs> so. which, the other, which brings up the other, another topic that I've got on my list is Please. this idea of observing data. Okay. Um, some people say, you know, I'm just not a numbers person. I don't like to look at the numbers. I don't like to look at the statistics about uh, diabetes. Um, and I've, I've observed it myself that once you start watching the data on a subconscious level, you start buying into – you start to tr – you try to influence it to the better. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I, I pull up my diabetes data every day, every day. There's certain graphs I, I favor, um, but I, I look at it every day, and I, I often take actions on it. And the, the mere act of observing – causes me on some level to buy in to improving it. Yeah. And, you know, I, when I, I never took one statistics class number one in college. In fact, I was a, a, a late, I didn't get a college degree until I was 46. Mm. Um, never took statistics. Didn't know what the heck a standard deviation was. And I figured it out slowly 
through my use of my, uh, you know, the, the CGM right. programs and the Dexcom Clarity program. Um, and I, now I, under, I have a gut feel for what it is and, and, and how it works. And I want to keep it below a certain number. When you look at standard deviation, do you look at it for the day, for the week, for the month? How do you think about it? I, my favorite one is the 14-day AGP report out of Clarity, okay. uh, ambulatory glucose profile. Uh, 14 days is sufficient data to, to be statistically significant, but not so long that it, it hides all sins. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree. So I like if, a shorter a, sh- a shorter window as well. Um, you, you just put it perfectly as to why. Uh, you know, you can have a great day and look, you know, it's almost like when you test, when you know your blood sugar is going to be okay. There's That's meaningless. You know, if you know you had a great day and you look at your standard deviation, you go, ooh, 23, and then don't look at it for the next yeah. month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I've, had, I've gotten into arguments online with people who know a lot more about statistics. And they say, well, that's not really a val- that's not a valid uh, proxy for your blood sugar variability because the data is not normally distributed. Okay. <laughs> that has that has a meaning in statistics. I don't quite get, but it's it's not completely random, and so that it, it the standard deviation is is not is, it's not a purest way of, of looking at it is is a is a pure number kind of thing. Um, but it's it's a I think it's a reasonable proxy to show how much your your glucose is going up and down. The, the lower the number, you know, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. If the and limits I, limit spikes, limit dangerous lows, stay stable as low as you can. That's pretty much it. Whatever you want to call those things, those are your goals. Y- yeah. y- you know what I mean? And and people will come up with better ways to measure them. I mean, this variability in standard deviation is far better way of thinking about it than you had 10 years ago, or I had 10 years ago, and 10 years from now, someone's going to come up with something that's even better. Yeah. And, and, and I've had, I've had doctors try to pull that thing on you about, oh, your A1C is low. You must be having a lot of hypos. Mm-hmm. And I say, what time out doc. Yeah. Yeah. Think about this. Check out my standard deviation. I have a standard deviation of 20 milligrams per deciliter. I says, Lows don't happen to be like falling off a cliff. Right. They're slow. They're gradual. I see it coming. I have. I wear a CGM. Yep. Um, in fact, I have a. a I have a, a, a diabetes alert dog. Um, he's he's one of my backups, and, and, and so I finally, over time, got a few doctors persuaded to this. You yeah. know, so when they see my lower A one C, they don't just get all worried about it. Right. Um, well, you know what I started building? It's funny you mentioned doctors so many times. Um, I, I online asked people in the in the private Facebook group, you know, if you have a great endo or a great nurse practitioner, can you list the practice here? Because I want to make that list available online. Like, where do you go find doctors who get it, who won't look at your, you know, your numbers as, as an example and say, oh, you've you've been low too much when that's clearly not what's happening. Like, where do you find those people? Um, and a lot of them are starting to listen to the podcast. I, I get a lot of notes from doctors' offices or nurse. I listen. Oh, that's like it's it's exciting because eventually we should be able to spread what you're talking about out to to caregivers and give people better expectations. Like maybe everyone doesn't. Maybe everyone can't take the advice the way you just put it out there because they're in the wrong time of their diabetes. But at least if their doctor knows 
about this information. They can watch them for when they're ready or move them towards being ready to hear something like that instead of just saying, you have a seven and a half, you're doing great. Get out of here, you crazy kid. And then that's the end of yeah. it, you, you know? So yes, I'm hopeful about it, that it's going to. Yeah, well, I, you know, I, I, I'm with the Richard Bernstein camp. Um, we deserve normal blood sugars. Right. And saying that I can go up to 180 regularly, that doesn't fly with me. Mm-hmm. That's not normal. Human evolution has decided what's normal. And human evolution has determined that blood sugars are tightly controlled in the non-diabetic. Tightly controlled. You wake up almost always under 100, you know, usually in the 80s and 90s. And you do have a certain amount of what we call hypoglycemia, even in what, what I would call gluconormals. Right. Oh, yeah, um, people hit, but, hit not. See, you. I have to tell you, I thank God you're starting to say this. I'm sorry to cut you off. You're the first person to say that on the podcast. That had a big impact on me. That people with type one, the people who don't have type one diabetes, often find their blood sugar around sixty for for an extended period of time during the day. Tell me about that early, again. In the early morning hours. Yeah. yeah. This this was this this. Uh, the reason I fell in love with the AGP report, I read the study on it in 2015 published in the Diabetes uh, Therapeutics uh, Technology, uh, uh, published under their name. Mm-hmm. And they basically, they, they took a person, they put a CGM on the person so that they could compare diabetes to what they considered normal. So they, they just basically said, okay, it's only one person, but we consider this person as representative of a glucose normal person. Okay. And this person, it had like a 5.7% under like 65 each mm. day, each day. Right. And it was in the early morning hours before waking. And, you know, I challenged one of my endos with this when I lived back in San Francisco. And she confessed to me, she says, you know, I wore a CGM for a while. And she says, I observed this to myself. Yeah. She didn't have diabetes. Right. Um, but my latest doctor said, well, yeah, that's all well and good, but you have diabetes. You don't have the emergency uh, metabolic backup, the gluc- healthy glucagon and all that. I said, yeah, I get that. But just want you to know, I want to compare myself to normal people. I don't want to consider my use the standard of care as the disease people. Well, know? that response points out what you said earlier is that the doctor's goal is for you not to die. Right. For you to not get so low that you have a seizure and need help or whatever could come from that. And you have tools in place to stop that from happening. So your goal is different. Your goal is, listen, man, if I get to 65 for a couple of minutes, I'm not going to eat a bunch of food and drive my blood sugar back up. I'm going to try ways to massage it back to where I want it to be again, because I know 65 for, you know, 15 minutes for a half an hour isn't the end of the world. It's not hurting me medically. And, and so I can do that. But as soon as you tell people a 65 or anything under 70 or whatever ends up being said is a panic situation, then they think, oh, this is dangerous, better high than low. I'll drive myself yes. back up again. Well, if, if their standard deviation is 60 milligrams per deciliter, which is twice what I think it should be, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's more dangerous. Your yeah. blood sugar is swinging up and down. And if you get to 65, you could be at 55 in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You could be at 45 in 20 minutes. But if you have a, if you have a, a standard deviation of, of like 20 milligrams per deciliter, you're not likely going to go that low that quickly. Yeah, Can happen, but not likely. Well, your point is 100% right, in my opinion, because Arden is um, about to get her period right now. 
So she needs um, more insulin around food. And so she's been spiking more around food and it's going to stop as soon as she gets her period. This stops. It's fascinating to watch how it happens yeah. for her. But so for the last couple of days, her standard deviation has been higher. And while it's higher, she's having more lows that need to be rescued before they come. But the yes. five days prior to that, when her standard deviation was in the 20s, she was never getting low. That's it. Yes. Yeah. She wasn't. She's yes. not bouncing is another way of saying. Right. And yeah. plus, since you don't go low quickly with a low standard deviation, you then have a much longer opportunity to fix it. Mm -hmm. Even if you're not paying real close attention. Um, you can still pop a little bit in your mouth yes. and wait and see what happens. Yes. Do you do completely low or no carb or how do you handle your meals? Okay. I, I, I got a diagnosis. Um, 18, two months, almost, almost two years ago of coronary artery disease. Okay. And so I was low carb starting in 2012 and I varied from, you know, like 30, 30 grams a day up to hundred grams a day, back to 30 grams a day. When I got the diagnosis of the heart disease, um, I adopted a, a diet with no grains, zero grains, okay. not zero carbs, but zero grains, no wheat, no flour, no corn. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, you know, drop things like p potatoes, of course, no bread, all that stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's naturally cut my carbs down and also the quality of my carbs. You know, bread is a processed food. <laughs> Noodles yeah. are a processed food. Spaghetti yeah. is a processed food. And I understand why people like it. And I used to be that way. But when your life is on the line and you're staring at the, you know, the, the number one thing that takes down type 1 diabetics is heart disease. Mm -hmm. It's not, not the diabetes itself. And I thought, well, this must be how I'm going to go. You know, what am I going to do? And I fought back. Right. And I've arrested, I, I had the test that I got diagnosed on is something called a coronary artery calcium uh, scan. It's a CT scan. They can actually see the coronary, the, the, the calcium in the coronary arteries. And that calcium is a, is a proxy for the total plaque that's in your arteries. And that's what fills up and you, it ends up rupturing and you get heart attacks and strokes. When my, my very good friend nasty. passed last year, that's, that's how he died. He had a, a massive heart attack. Yeah. You know. So I, I learned through a lot of reading that the uh, coronary artery disease, the calcification progresses at a rapid level, mm -hmm. like 20% a year. And so they said it's very rare for people to arrest it or reverse it. So I had the scan done exactly one year later, and my score dropped. Wow. Not by a lot, but by a couple percent. It did not increase, and it went down a little bit. So I took all the discipline that I learned with diabetes, and I said, okay, I've got this new game, and my life's on the line. What am I going to do? I'll apply it to bread and pasta is what I'll do. <laughs> right. And yeah. I did, and I thought, you know what? There's no meal that tastes, so, that tastes as good as a, as a normal blood sugar feels. Yeah. Yeah. It just yeah. doesn't happen. And I... You can give that you learned how to like this. You weren't born liking potatoes and cereal. Mm -hmm. You learned that. So how That's do you how did you satiate those things in the beginning when you made the switch? What did you move to that helped you be able to maintain until you got to a place where it became everyday to you? Are you talking about the switch uh, back in 2012 when I just limited carbs or yeah. later I well, took grains out? I think I want to hear about both. But like, what's the process like about? You know, because taking out grains is very specific, but first limiting your carbs a little bit and then talk about the grains. Like, well, how did you 
I mean, you had, did you go cold turkey or did you nurse your way through it? Here's uh, my participation on the, the diabetes online community at two diabetes. I, 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 I was a, I didn't participate. I just read. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't sign on for an account. And I watched for like a year, a full year before I signed up to where I would make my first comment. And there was this thing going on, the, the carb wars, uh, with the low, low carbs versus the rest of the world yeah. kind of uh, tension that was going on. And I was watching, you know, I wasn't certain. And then I thought, should I do this? And I thought, no, I don't want to give up my bagels. Mm-hmm. I don't want to give up my bread. It, you know, uh, there's certain things I like. <clears throat> but then when I got the, the, the adverse diagnosis, it was, it was gastroparesis, by the way. Okay. I thought, do I love those foods so much that I want to die early or that I want to die of you know, indigestion and malnutrition? Um, right. When I just retired and I, this is, these are my golden years. Um, and I thought, you know what? This is the time. And so then I did it. And I, I you know, I, I limited at first I limited to like a hundred grams a day, which really is not much of a limit. Mm. Um, but I eventually, because I was having so much success with it, I brought it down to 30 grams a day <laughs> and I would do things like, uh, a Starbucks breakfast sandwich that comes on a, a, a English muffin. Yeah. I would just eat it open face. So, so I eat half the bread instead of all the bread. Right. So it wasn't like I was completely giving things up. Right. And I eventually cut that down to only a half of a half. I see. So, and, and, then, and then I would go in and I would, wouldn't eat the bread at all. I'd just eat the sausage and the, and the, uh, and the egg that's on that, on that sandwich. Um, and I found it was quite reasonable. Yeah. I didn't really need the bread. And, and the more reading I did about the agricultural revolution, which happened 10,000 years ago, which sounds like a long time, but in human evolution, it's a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. It's less than a half of a percent of our, our history as you know hominids and hum- homo sapiens. We didn't start eating wheat until the last half of a percent of the time in, wow. our, in our evolution. We learned this. It's not something that was always deemed to be. Um, well, yeah, we, sure. I mean, back in the day, like it... it Nobody was nobody was grinding up uh, grinding up wheat and making bread out of it like you're saying fifty thousand years ago when people were where our bodies were developing and and getting accustomed to processing things and it's interesting isn't it how we 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 live longer through intervention and so that feels like it's easier to not pay as close attention to your health because it feels like there's a pill or yeah. there's something that'll help you so, get through it right. Archaea or anthropologists, you know, in discovering what happened around this uh, agricultural evolution starting 10,000 years ago. And they saw they found skeletons of humans who predated the agricultural revolution. And they found that these these people, they had better bones because they could find the bones and they didn't have cavities in their teeth. Oh no kidding! And they and they had all their teeth. They their 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 the, the dental arch in their mouth was big enough to house all the teeth that we evolved to have. Whereas nowadays we have braces and orthodontia, and we have lot. I mean, I had horrible cavities as an adult. Mm-hmm. I've had very little dental work since I since I cut out a lot of the, a lot of the grains, a lot of the carbs, That's and you know, bread and stuff. Are you um? Do you eat animal protein or are you vegetarian? I do. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I I'm a, I'm an omnivore, and I, I yeah I, I I eat beef and I eat chicken, mm-hmm. and uh, 
it's it's what my 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 hardware evolved to like. So we, it's like I'm not going to go against that code because it's mother nature knows knows what what's healthy for me. So when you make yourself a steak, what do you put with it? Like how do you side it up and make a meal for yourself? Um, uh, vegetables most commonly. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I could have you know mushrooms or or, or even saute onion, onions and uh, um, uh, bell peppers or or spice it up with some some hot peppers. Right. Uh, cabbage is another another good one. But yeah, so meat meat and veg. Yeah, but no uh, no um no potato uh, no rice potato. either. Is that right? No rice. No. no bread. That kind of stuff is gone. And I don't really miss it. It just. That's what's amazing to me. Well, I have to say that, you know, I've done low carb things throughout my life, you know, in short bursts and, you know, it's never been a lifestyle, but there is no way to argue that when you get carbs, like those kind of carbs and sugar out of your system about three days afterwards, it feels like someone turns your dimmer up a little bit. You just feel differently, better, like like your body's not working so hard to processed food i'm assuming is yes part well, of starches are nothing more than a chain of glucose right. molecules yeah so i'm probably using less put, insulin then in that point yeah as soon as you put bread in your mouth the the enzyme in your mouth called amylase immediately starts cutting those bonds by the time that bread hits your stomach it's already sugar right how it's, the, it's not how a the, little sugar it's a lot of sugar how do the french stay so thin they eat bread all day long Seriously. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't Culturally, know. Culturally, so right? About but you, bread, you, yes, you know do. what I mean, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always wonder that. But they do eat a lot of meat and veggies as well. Yeah. And drink red, red wine, which is probably good for you as well. Well, I think that whatever works for somebody, and, and I don't mean works by whatever makes you comfortable. I mean, works by actually works. You, you, you know what I mean? I think is great. You know, so whatever's, if you're fueling a healthy lifestyle, however you're doing it, that's amazing. Um, I know I have once or twice over the last couple of years, this is interesting that you enjoy the podcast so much because once or twice over the last couple of years, I've taken it pretty hard from low carb people. I think they feel like when I say, I want you to understand how insulin works. And I use the example that my daughter doesn't have diet restrictions. They feel like that means I'm pushing carbs and I don't, I don't feel that way. Like I Arden had a big house salad for dinner last night. And, you yeah. know, and it probably had 25 carbs in it because it had like she put some barbecue sauce on it or something like that. Sure. And, you know, like there were carbs in it, but it was beans and uh, corn, lettuce. What else did I put in there? She had a little bit of cheese, not a lot. Um, you know, and, and that's that. She doesn't eat very much. Now, this morning she got up and she ate French toast and she yeah. probably won't do that again for two weeks. Like she, you know, she kind of bounces around in her eating. So all the stuff I say on the podcast, I I believe I'm saying understand how to use insulin, then figure out what you want to eat, and then use the insulin. Well, and that. I know you've mentioned about uh, disordered eating among especially uh, young young women um, is definitely a thing, and you need to you don't want to promote that. So I, I I think you've taken a good middle road. It's not exactly what I would choose, or I do choose for myself, but right. I understand it. And I'm also talking to everybody, not just you. Do you, right. don't, you know what I mean? So I'm yeah. trying to be, I'm trying to be what I consider to be. Yeah. Well, my take on this is I interact well with some people who are in the, uh, you ever heard of the, 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 the group called mastering diabetes? Um, I haven't, but they, they eat high carb 
they eat very low fat and high carb, and their carbs are mostly uh, fruits and vegetables. Okay. We're talking like four, five, six hundred grams of carbs a day, and th- these are people people with type one diabetes that are controlling well. Wow. I was initially very incredulous that this could be done, mm-hmm. but now I realize that it is it is doable. And that the key is not combining high carbs with high fats, which is what the standard American diet is. Okay. So if you're going to eat the high carbs, just keep the fats to a minimum. You can't do both. And then the other thing is, is don't eat processed food. (laughs) To the extent you can avoid processed food, you're better off. Right. If it has an ingredient list, and especially if you don't understand what what all those ingredients are, you probably shouldn't be eating it. Yeah. I I, I do my best to uh, give my family basic foods you know what i mean like like just i i don't like looking at something and thinking i don't know how this got to this state <laughs> you, you know it's it's the, it's the jerk jerk diet just eat real foods yeah that's what they call it that's uh that makes sense to me i've actually um recently it's been a couple weeks now but i've been doing um basically i guess it, some people call it intermittent fasting or 816 i there's that's 8 hours i use that yeah I 8 hours that. a day i'm eating and 16 hours a day i'm not and i i find that that's been really valuable uh, i definitely think i'd like to hold on to that concept do you feel more energy what do you leave out the the early early uh, bre- uh the early breakfast i go or- from yeah i go from noon to 8 and i very infrequently find myself eating all the way to 8 anyway yeah you know yeah i eat from i eat from like a 10 to 6, See, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. It's funny you said that because just as I said noon to 8, I thought, but 10 to 6 would probably, oops, sorry, I lost my audio for a second. You can still hear me, but I can't hear you. And give me one second. Sorry about that. Sorry. Right. I, I, you could actually hear me. I couldn't hear myself or you. Um, I, just as you said that, I thought, Maybe 10 to 6 would be better. Even 11 to, like, why am I not messing with this a little bit? Like, if I'm not finding myself eating all the way to 8 o'clock, because I do get hungry by noon, although not so hungry that I'm ravenous, just like I'm ready to yeah, eat. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's like 9.30, coming up on 9.30 now, and I, I won't eat for uh, maybe another hour. Right. I, I do not, I'm not hungry. I, I've had my coffee, my coffee had cream in it, so technically I, maybe I broke my fast, but... I, I don't have it. I think your body likes taking a break from food. Mm-hmm. Putting something, some feeding your gut every three hours to me is not healthy. Well, it gives it a lot to do. And sometimes, you know, and, and if you have, like you said, if you have to eat, you eat. But you're making a good point. You haven't eaten. You've been up for a while. Your blood sugars, do you mind telling me what it is? Um, 98. Right. And, and you haven't been low since cycles. you've been up? No. Uh, I, I have I have this little dance that goes on. I you know the 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 dawn phenomena slash feet on the floor syndrome. Yeah. Um, and I always have to to put my foot on. I I, I use loop and I just upgraded uh, to the latest one, and they have something called overrides. And so I I, I step on the, I do a two hundred percent override. Um, when you Katie wake up, D, Katie DeSimone probably wouldn't like hearing that, but that's what I do. Um, <laughs> and I step on that for an hour and that, that tamps it down or even better. I, I have a, a, a mini trampoline, a rebounder. I, I, I jump on that for 15, 20 minutes and that'll knock it down right away. No kidding. And, well, not right away, but 15, 20 minutes. Yeah. It'll, it'll take it down. And uh-huh. actually that's probably a better solution than throwing insulin at it because yeah. insulin it, from my understanding, creates insulin resistance. Mm. 
Yeah, you, it's a you byproduct of using insulin. Is that you'll need more insulin? It, yeah, yeah. It, 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 in the long run. Yeah. Um, but doing some exercise, walking around the block, you make yourself more sensitive to insulin. You, you do the blood glucose goes down, and you become more sensitive, and yeah. it's it's a win-win deal. Arden's been working out in the afternoon since she's been sheltered in place, and I you have to plan for it because she'll drop. Yes. She'll want to drop like 70 points. And so you there's ways I can I restrict her basal prior to her eating. And that usually is really helpful. Although I got to see something uh, incredibly interesting the other day where um, we she's just announced she was going to work out. And I gave her like half of this very dense protein bar. It's like nuts. And I don't know exactly all what was in it, but it was very dense. I said, eat this before you work out. And it was only a couple of little bites. And it was crazy to see how long it sat in her system. It overwhelmed the workout. There was no glitch oh, from the really? workout. It was really interesting. It like, was a good thing then. It studied her, her, her yeah, lunch sugar. I couldn't do the, the temp basal thing leading up to the workout because she just decided to do it out of nowhere. So I gave her, I think it was like 10 carbs. And I knew it was going to sit in her stomach for hours. And it went in there. She started to go down about the time she would have, the distance between starting the workout and then it just caught and it laid there for hours. I was like, wow, that was really something. Yes. So I almost pre-bolused with food, if that makes any sense. Yes. <laughs> yes. So uh, those it was really something. Uh, how do you, you just said you upgraded to the latest version of Loop. Are you using the auto bolus yet or no? No, it's not, not auto bolus. It's not auto bolus. Uh, and I don't, I don't even know if they feature, if, I don't think they, it's still a hybrid system. There's a branch of it with auto bowls because oh a branch okay yeah. I haven't done any experimental branches I'm just I just finally did my upgrade myself okay took all these years to figure out how to do this myself <laughs> um, and I was quite proud that I that I was able to do that I I had help I had a mentor that that got me started yeah a lot of nice people help me when I get confused <laughs> so yes <laughs> with the the, the the app part so you're of it. not using it anymore no she is. Yeah, she is yes, using it right the, now. The Omnip- Omnipod, okay. Yeah, um, I am. I have. What does what does she think of it? She hates the Riley Link. Just the extra piece of hardware. She really hates it. It it yeah. it, it burdens her in a way that I I has not gone away. Like I yeah. thought she'd get used to it, but every time I see her get up and she has to pick it up, she looks a little bit like she'd like to throw it across the room too. Um, and so I'm super excited for Horizon because. Horizons is going to have the algorithm. It's going to be printed right on the pod, right in the circuit board. So yes. you won't need contact with your phone for your okay. algorithm to run. Will that be part of Tidepool Loop? Um, that's what I'm talking about is Omnipod Horizon, which will be their closed loop system. Um, okay. That should be coming out. I think I think coronavirus pushed yeah, it a their, little bit. Their algorithm and mm-hmm. everything. Okay. So the algorithm that is running on your phone and then has yeah. to talk through that link and get to your pump that algorithm is going to run right on the uh, on the Omnipod. It's going to be okay. built built right into the circuit board. Okay, very so, good. So well, that'll, that'll, be Ar- that'll be Arden's answer to that. Yes. Yeah, because yes. because it's, you know, there's times where, you know, like things are going along great, and then you look up and you're like, is she going up for? I don't understand why she's going up. And then you go look and the loop's yellow and it's been, dis- you know, and it's been disconnected for 20 minutes or then it's all of a sudden it's yeah. red and she hasn't been anywhere near it and she needed an adjustment and it's not capable of doing it because she's out of, you know, she's not looping because the Riley link's gone. Yes. Um, yeah, I think that the automated insulin dosing is 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 breakthrough technology. Very cool. I, I, 
in the 36 years I live with diabetes, it's it's one of the top five things, yep. and if not the top thing, because it's tireless. Hmm. Every five minutes, it does the analysis and dispassionately makes the change. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that she's using the auto loop, and if I miss on her food somehow, usually it's a pre-bolus miss. If I miss, as soon as she starts heading up, that thing just starts going. And it's bolusing and bolusing and bolusing. So if you don't okay. notice, and it only does, I forget the exact breakdown, but it gives 40% of the recommended dose. And then it keeps breaking down from there. So I think it's less and less as it goes up for safety reasons. But I've I've never missed on a bolus and since she's had the auto bolus and it not stopped her by 200 at least. Okay. So it's not great. But if you screw up, it's like, oh, and it starts throwing the brakes on for you. You know what I mean? Yes. It's very interesting. Um, yes. Incredible, really. I, I just, I, I'm I'm so happy I was able to get on the uh, the automated system when I did. And I I would never, I would never give it up. Hmm. And I, it's a little bit amusing to me how uh, timid the, the commercial uh, uh, operations have to be with their, with their algorithm. Uh with regards to the lows, of course, that's what they're worried about. Yeah. Um, so they, the first is they don't allow you to set your target, you know, like below 120, for instance, or below 100. Well, my target is 83. Yeah. That's what I correct to. And you're also in a good situation, too, to make that decision because of your low carb, because you don't use much insulin to begin with, right? right. So if you keep right. a tighter tolerance at a lower number, you have much less likelihood of dropping than somebody who like Arden in this situation today who decided to have, you know, French toast for breakfast. She had three slices of it. It was, I mean, it'll fry your mind, but it was 66 grams of bread, I think. Yes. So that's a massive amount of insulin so that she can eat this French toast. And if we tried to stay at 83 during this moment, you know, the no. slightest. No. Yeah. Right. So it's, but yeah. you, so you've put yourself in a better position to, to keep yourself stable. At that yeah, moment. so I, this is what the, the do-it-yourself movement has really appealed to me, that it allows people like me to be in charge. I don't have to go hat in hand to the to the uh, device manufacturer or to my doctor saying, oh, pretty please, let me aim for normal blood sugars. It's yeah. just like, I got this. I'm the, doing this. And, and it's important <laughs> because now is, listen, now is your, it's your life now. Like to say that I think in a couple of years, these systems will let you pick the number. I think that's true, but that's not helping you right now. You know, like, and and the do it yourself movement, they're iterating like mad. They're changing. They're improving the code all that. They don't have to go to the FDA. They don't have to go through all this laborious process and jump through a lot of hoops. They're able to make improvements. And I, I, in fact, I want to get this in before you end here. Please. It's the parents of children with diabetes that were the, one of the backbones of this movement. Um, it was their love for their children that was so strong. They thought we should be able to do this. Yes. And they did. And the, the, we are not waiting movement was born and is still being felt. It's effects being felt today. Well, I was going to say the same thing. And what I was going to say uh, and add to that is I hope that what we're not waiting did for CGM adoption and the FDA being, you know, cool about things getting happening faster than they used to. I hope that same um, kind of wave of, of, of enthusiasm helps them look back at this loop data and say, maybe we got to let these companies fix these algorithms when they find a glitch in them or when they, or when they find not a glitch, but when they decide, Hey, we could be more strong here or this could do a better job 
don't make them put it back through a a two year process again to get the yes. change. Like I don't want to be using 2020 technology in 2022. Like, like, yes, like, you know, let's figure out a way to and get I, this quicker. I think the FDA has evolved and Man, they I have improved so. and they have sped things up. Um, you know, allowing the, the, the CGM to be used in the hospital. I mean, that's big it deal. COVID-19 to do that. I mean, I could have told them that five years ago. They didn't want to listen to me because I didn't have any letters after my name. Yeah. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, well, you know what it is too. When you get into a pressure, a pressure situation, then all of a sudden the safety stuff drifts away a little more because it's more imperative right now. Like we'll take a bigger risk. And so, and and not that using a CGM in a hospital is a risk. That's just common sense, but you know, but in the past, people like me would go in the hospital and they didn't want you to have that. They didn't, they want you to take it off. Yeah. Well, that's because the person be in charge of insulin. I'm telling you, that's because the person talking to you at that moment is thinking six years before, like their thinking's coming from another time. And, and as technology moves forward, you need people to move with it. People who understand it have to be, they have to be right there in the moment and be able to say, this is current technology. This is how it works. This is how we can implement it. Not seven years ago when I was in school, these things didn't exist. So you know, Terry, take your CGM off while you're in the hospital. That that's yes. just silly, you know. Well, and I just think it's great that you're getting reports back from from uh, clinicians to saying that they're listening to this these patient discussions uh, because it shows things are changing, and there are people out there who are enlightened, and they're they're going to be part of changing things over time. I swear to you, I've probably got a dozen emails that say I went in, my doctor looked at all of my stuff, looked up at me, and said. Hey, do you listen to that juice box podcast? Because your data looks like you do. It <laughs> makes me so happy. You know, um, not yes. because the podcast is doing well, but because, but because success looks like something that people can recognize. You, you know, yes. that's excellent. Yes. Really exciting. Well, Terry, I enjoyed this very much. Uh, I appreciate you coming back on. You were so popular. I had to have you back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks. So I don't think you're as. And let me leave you with this. I don't think you're as much on the fringe as you think you are. I think that you're on the fringe of people who speak up online, but that's not everybody. You know what okay. I mean? Like people online are, are a certain uh, segment, a smaller percentage of the total of people. Obviously, you know, this of people who have type one diabetes. I think most people who don't find themselves on Facebook or in a, you know, in a, in a private group somewhere, or even listening to a podcast, I think they think about things sort of down the middle, sort of in a, in a moderate, reasonable way. They're not, they're not offended. You know, if you say a lower A1C is probably better, you know, or whatever else comes with that. So maybe you feel like, uh, you don't belong with the people who are speaking up all the time. And that's probably very true. Uh, so I think that makes your voice even more valuable. Uh, but I don't think that, I think that if you reached everybody, you'd find you're more in the norm than you believe you are. Seriously. Oh, interesting thought. Yeah. I'll have to ponder that one. But yeah. uh, I, like, appreciate, I appreciate you sharing your platform. Um, uh, these kinds of things always interested me uh, because I know that I'm, I'm talking to more people like me, but I'm, I'm hoping to connect with the person who's right on the edge of ma- wanting to make a change and then po- hearing something in what I said or what you said in our conversation that tip them over to say, okay, I'm going to do this. It's exciting. Because that's what it is. Yeah. It's willful, willful motivation that makes it happen. Well, thank you for providing it today. You definitely did. Uh, 
I really appreciate your time. And I, I'm sure I've overstayed my time here. So no, no, good I've luck, enjoyed good luck this. Editing. No, no, no. This is all going up. Please, okay. I'll go three hours if I have to. I just have to. Uh, I just got to go. I've, I, I promised my wife I'd go grow. It's, it's time for my tribute to the family. I have to go out yes. and bring food back. <laughs> yes, that's important. Well, I want to take a moment, of course, to thank Terry for adding his voice to the community of people living with type 1 diabetes. It's absolutely an invaluable voice, and we were lucky to hear it not just once, but twice on the podcast. Seriously, go check him out on episode 53 if you haven't heard it. Terry's a, uh, he's a resource and a, and, a, and a damn nice fellow. Thanks so much to Dexcom and Omnipod for sponsoring the Juicebox podcast. Let's go over it again because they paid for this and they deserve for you to hear it. Dexcom.com forward slash Juicebox. MyOmnipod.com forward slash Juicebox. Get yourself a Dexcom G6 continuous glucose monitor and an Omnipod tubeless insulin pump with those links. You know what? I haven't done this in a while. Thank you to the sponsors for bringing us conversations like this with Terry. I know it seems like, oh no, Scott, you have a podcast and it's popular, so you sell ads on it. Well, yeah, but I also have a life. And if I didn't make, you know, a couple dollars with this podcast, I wouldn't be making the podcast and you wouldn't have heard from Terry and blah, blah, blah. So thank you, Omnipod Dexcom, Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, and Touched by Type 1. Those are all the sponsors that are currently active with the podcast, even past sponsors deserve a shout out. They're not going to get one because they didn't pay for it, but you know what I'm saying. They deserve it. I'm just kidding. There have been a lot of great sponsors in the past, and I'm sure there'll be more in the future, but the real staples for the show, Omnipod, Dexcom, Touched by Type 1, and more recently, the Contour Next One Blood Glucose Meter, who I'm building a really lovely relationship with. These people are helping you to get the stories like Terry or, you know, when John Welsh comes on and talks about standard deviation for an hour and a half, you know, there's, you have to build a place for that to exist. And, um, it takes time and a lot of effort and I'm able to put that time into it because of the sponsors. So if you need these devices, please support them through the show. Use the links in the show notes. It would be a big deal for me. Um, and it'll help the podcast continue to grow along with your sharing of the show which I can never say thank you enough for. This month, May, excuse me, it's June. This month, June, look at me, I'm only a month behind on what month it is. As I put this episode up, this month, June, is about to become the most listened to month in the history of the podcast. There's a real chance for that. I'm looking at the numbers right now. We are really, really close. Five more days, 15, I think we're going to make it. I think we're going to crack a real milestone in June. And the podcast itself is about to hit a milestone too, in about a month or so. So anyway, I, I, I'm rambling, but that's because you guys are sharing the show. It's because you're going back and listening to all of the content. It's all of those reasons and I appreciate it. What else? Anything? This is probably the longest episode ever of the podcast. I just watched it tick past an hour and 42 minutes. Wow. I hope you liked it. I really enjoyed it. I think Terry's terrific. At this point, now you've got to be wondering. I've been listening for an hour and 43 minutes. Scott's clearly not saying anything anymore. Why don't I just shut this off? Do 
Do I have some sort of a weird compulsion to complete everything no matter what? And if you do, you should probably consult a psychiatrist over that because really, shut it off. Why are you listening? There's nothing happening. Are you afraid you're going to miss something? Huh? What are you afraid you're going to miss? Do you think I'm suddenly going to restart the episode? You can look on your counter. It's almost over. You know nothing else is coming, but you're still listening. I'm disappointed in you, to be perfectly honest with you, if you're still listening at this point. Shut it off. Go to another episode. Go outside. Look up at the sun. Let it hit your face. Are you still here? All right, I'm going to click the button and stop it. Let's do a countdown to see if you last through the countdown. I promise you that at the end of this countdown, I'm stopping this episode. Will you stop it before the countdown is over? You should, by the way. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, a 2, and one.